0: Isn't that cute? It's an LED suit for a four-year-old or a two-year-old. Isn't that cute? Some guy in Denmark dresses kid up in LED lights. Anyway, there you have it. Uh, Harvest uh, Fe- Festival of Melons and Gourds. Celebration of Melons and Gourds. Hey, can I tell that story real quick? Let me tell the story real quick. You know, when, when I got hired here, I wasn't hired to do music. I was hired to do singles ministry. And when we had fake Halloween, that was in, I was in charge of that. So we had a big the fig fake Halloween with the moon bounces, and we got dressed up every year, and that was my deal. And uh, we were, it had, I inherited it, and it had been called the Harvest Gourd Festival. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. It's like, you know, evil to say a pumpkin or whatever, you know. So it was the Harvest Gourd Festival. And so when I took it over, I changed it. Oh, got gotcha. you. That's all right. When I took it over, I changed it to the celebration of melons and gourds. As if melons had anything to do with the holiday. Anyway, it was—we kept it for years. It was in the bulletin every year, and Doctor Young would out said, "Don't forget the celebration of melons and gourds." And I, I, if you were a visitor, you'd be like, "Melons? <laughs> is that, are honeydews in the season right now? I don't even know." But anyway, that's the. Hey, uh, let's go to the serious stuff. This is God's Word, uh, Hebrews chapter one. We continue in our study, uh, Hebrews chapter one, and uh, we will. Pick it up in verse 10, and we'll refer carefully to uh, verse uh, 1 and following. We pick it up in verse 10. It's kind of mid idea, but for the sake of time, we'll do that. But we are pulling in all of chapter 1 as we work through the rest of this chapter today. So this is God's Word, verse 10, Hebrews chapter 1. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits who are sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. I told you years ago uh, that uh, Tammy and I had a very unique scenario when we when we did college ministry. We took a, a trip to New York. It was a mission trip to New York. And uh, it was about, a, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us, and we went and did some homeless shelters. I had some speaking opportunities and stuff. It was really pretty cool. And, uh, but it was in late May of 2011, and uh, it was our last day in New York, and I think the girls went looking for an H&M or something like that, and uh, the guys kind of wandered around. We went to the World Trade Center. And uh, I think I was probably waddling around, and they got away from me. But I remember being alone at the World Trade Center, standing between the twin towers, looking up at those giant things. It's real windy, real impressive, and uh, just amazing. And then I walked across, uh, partway across the Brooklyn Bridge, which is where everybody fled, you know, during uh, during the 9/11 attacks and all that stuff. Anyway, so that was late May of 2011. We went back. Actually, we flew in October because my grandfather died uh, a month after 9/11. Um, and then at Christmas time, Rudy Giuliani gets on TV, and he goes, hey, if you want to help New York, come and spend money in New York. And we were like, hey, okay. So we, we got online, and it was only $80, I think a ticket, to change our Chicago tickets to, to have two nights in New York. So we went to New York for two nights and saw Ground Zero. So we saw it in May of 2011, and we saw it in December of 2001. 2001. 2001. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know. that's All I am is old and confused. Uh, So, uh, yeah, just months apart, standing in the same place, looking up, and uh, it's just still staggering. I know it's staggering to all of you who who remember that, um, that two massive skyscrapers could vanish from the horizon of New York City. I mean, it's just still so hard to take in. Even when you see the Freedom Tower, you still look at uh, South, South Manhattan and you just go, man, it just looks so, it's not the world we were born into, many of us. Well, you know, folks, examine your own lives. Uh, the longer you live, the more you start stacking up a list of experiences that you never dreamed could unfold. I mean, it happens as you get older and older, as you gain life experience, you look back on your life and you say, man, all these things happened that I never could have dreamed would have ever happen. All, all these things happened that I never dreamed could ever change. Uh, landmarks change and relationships change. Generations change. Human bodies change. We ourselves, the core of, of who we are, the way we think, our belief systems, we're, we're in flux all the time. We change. We're affected. But I've got good news for you, ladies and gentlemen, and it's right from the Scriptures here. The good news is this, and it's our big idea for the day. Your Savior can be depended upon. And one of the reasons He can be depended upon is that He is God and he does not change. So when I say, your Savior can be depended upon, that's not some glassy-eyed evangelical statement like there, there, you know? Uh, I think a lot of times people uh, make theological statements uh, as small talk. Uh, this isn't small talk. Um, this is a definitive claim, and the Bible makes definitive claims, not merely romantic whispers to kind of get you through the day and the hard time, but definitive claims with specific things, Here's a, an unabashed specific claim, by the way, from the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. That's a definitive claim. <laughs> That's an unabashed claim. There's no shyness there. There's no you know, tucking and saying, where Jesus... If Jesus isn't resurrected, then our preaching, this preaching, my preaching is in vain. The apostles' message is in vain, and so is your faith. If we don't have a resurrected Christ, it's all thrown out. And so what I'm saying to you is um, the Bible not only invites scrutiny, but it doesn't flinch to say that you've got to believe some pretty wild stuff if you want to believe in this Jesus, if you want to embrace the Savior. And you can only have this Savior as the Bible presents him. If you have any other Savior that's not presented as the Bible presents him, then what you've done, done is made up in a little imaginary friend. It's not the Jesus of this book. So let's explore how our Savior can be depended upon. Let's look at some definitive claims about why that is true and who this Jesus is. We pick up uh, in mid-thought here from last week, and I'll pull some stuff in. But our, our, our first sermon point of four today is, Jesus is all-powerful. Look at verse 10, and, now let's stop there because that's a very important word. You cannot proceed without looking at what happened before, and you can see that we're in mid-thought here. Um, the, it, it reminds and reinforces the point uh, for discussion, which is that Jesus is singularly Absolutely supreme. He's exclusively supreme. He's greater than any prophet or any prophetic office. That's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Look at uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, that is the uh, inauguration of the spiritual kingdom that has come with Jesus Christ, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. All right, so you see that uh, Jesus is greater than the prophetic voices that preceded him. That is not to say that they weren't true, not to say that they weren't important. It is to say that they all pointed to Jesus and are fulfilled in him. Uh, do we need more prophets to come along and give us some more uh, holy writ? No. The living word, Jesus, is the, is the last message. He's the final say. He's the present Lord. He's greater than any prophet or prophetic office. That's what's already been discussed. Um, Look at verse 1 again. Uh, He spoke to us by the prophets, by the fathers, but in these last days, verse 2, he's spoken to us by His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but that the heir of all things idea, as we've discussed, simply means he owns all the stuff. If somebody's heir... They're they're privy and uh, privileged to have the stuff. He's heir of all things. It also says in verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He is of, ladies and gentlemen, the same essence, if you like that word, or stuff, or nature. He shares the same attributes fully, uh, comprehensively, with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus is God. And that's one of those things too. If you throw that out, you throw the gospel out with it. You can't believe in a Jesus who isn't God. If you do, it's another gospel and it's, it's the wrong Christ. It's a Christ that you made up. All right, so that's, that's uh, something that we're told about Jesus. It's a definitive statement. And also at the end of verse three there, it says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds everything together, ladies and gentlemen. And it's saying that there has, there's never been a time where he hasn't held everything together. So right there, that's a pretty good foundation for a Savior who can be depended upon, isn't it? If he's that. Well, continuing now, in yeah, verse 4 and following, what we explored last week was that he is superior to the angels. And we'll talk about that some more today. Um, the Bible mentions angels over 250 times. It's no small topic, angels in the Bible, these, these, uh, these um, holy beings that are created to do God's uh, bidding. Uh, if you think that you're interested in angels, um, then uh, so were the Jews of old for a very good reason. They were more interested in angels than you. And uh, I'll tell you this too, I, I skipped this last week. I just kind of... For the sake of time, I just blew past this, but I, I, I don't want to leave you without this. This is the last page of the Bible. You don't have to turn. I'm already there. I'm just going to read you one quick thing. This is the last page of the Bible. The Holy Spirit of God penned this through the Apostle John, the book of Revelation. And on the last page of the Bible, the Apostle John, you think pretty good you know, source, around Jesus and stuff, the Apostle John writes this. He's wrapping it up. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that! I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So angel's pretty fascinating, <laughs> apparently, if even the apostle John on the last page of, of what he's writing falls down and tries to worship this glorious figure. So what I'm saying to you is, yes, um, an angel, a sinless being who's been in the presence of the glory of God, his appointed messenger is impressive Indeed. But friends, Christ is greater. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Christ is even greater than that. I mean, something that would make an apostle fall down in awe and want to worship and have to be corrected. Christ is greater than that, friends. Look at verse 5. For which to the, of the angels did God the Father ever say? Now skip to verse 10. You, Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. I mean, it, it doesn't take a, a first century Christian to read that, uh, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. It doesn't take a first century Christian to go, hey, that sounds a lot like Genesis 1-1. To which of the angels did God ever say that? You, Lord, God speaking to Jesus, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth In the beginning, you know, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is saying, in the beginning, Jesus laid the foundations of the heavens. Uh, They're the work of his hands. Is that not amazing? Does that not give you confidence that Jesus can be depended upon? Um, How about this? Um, Why don't you turn real quickly to uh, to, um, Colossians 1. And while you do that, I'm gonna flip over to John 1 real quick. So turn to Colossians 1, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But listen how the gospel of John starts. In the beginning was the Word, with a capital W, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, That's a pretty strong statement about who this Jesus is. Now, let's flip to um, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. He, this is Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creations. Now, let me just stop you real quickly there uh, so you don't get all nervous. If you weren't with us last week, you might go, oh, firstborn of all creation. That blows my mind. It is the same thing that we talked about last week, which is these, these, um, these terms, that Jesus is an heir, that he's an appointed heir, that he's, uh, in John three sixteen uh, begotten. He's the only begotten son, um, that he has an inherited name here, he's the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that Jesus is a, uh, a created character or that Jesus was at this level and then he did some stuff and he got moved up to a higher level or that God just decided to move him to a higher level and give him some important stuff to do. No, no, no. What that means is it, it's, a, it's a statement of authority and rulership. When you see heir, begotten inherited, firstborn of creation, you need to be thinking, this is Jesus with the power and the control. That's the point. So let's read on. And I'll I'll reinforce that in a second too. Look at verse 16. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So, what we don't want to do is take a statement like "He's the firstborn of all creation." And go, ooh, let's build a doctrine on that. Oh, let's see. Back in Hebrews, uh, he was appointed heir. Ooh, let's uh, let's diminish Jesus, and uh, put him in kind of a low starting point, and uh, and say that uh, you know then he got a kind of a promotion. That's not, what, that's not what any of these passages are saying. They're not trying to reduce Jesus. They're trying to um, magnify him. They're trying to tell you that your Savior can be depended upon. They're saying that He laid the foundation of the earth from the beginning. The heavens are the work of his hands. That's what the texts are trying to say here. So, an application for your life. Uh, I got a question for you. What kind of Jesus, would you like? What kind of Jesus is worth putting your faith in? What kind of Jesus is worth trusting with your eternal destiny? Um, Let me put it a different way. Do you want a shot at eternal preservation? Or do you want to know absolutely positively that you're going to be okay? Uh, Do you want a very high likelihood that your sins have been forgiven? Or do you want the spiritual slime evicted from your life and your account? Well, the Jesus of the Bible is the one who can do that. If you're going to take all your chips and bet it, then if I were you, I would bet it on the one who laid the foundation of the earth and uh, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isn't that the Jesus you want to trust? You can. All right, next point. Jesus is everlasting. Look at verse 10 again. You, Lord, laid the foundation. This is God the Father speaking. You, Lord. By the way, back up to verse 8. The God the Father speaking. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God speaking to Jesus. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Christ is everlasting. A very easy picture to see there. I mean, uh, clothes that wear out, clothes that you take out to the trash, clothes that you turn into rags. You roll up a robe, and you go, this is no good anymore. I can't wear it. It's threadbare. It's threadbare. Um, uh, but Jesus doesn't wear out. Now, it's important to note that um, the writer of Hebrews is again employing the Old Testament to Jesus Christ, um, employing and applying the Old Testament to Jesus Christ. In the first chapter uh, here, there are seven uh, verses that are used from the Old Testament to apply to Jesus—five instances, seven verses. This is one of them, and um, th- this uh, verse ten is from Psalm one hundred two. So, why don't we flip over to Psalm one hundred two real quickly and take a look at it? Um, so, as you find that, I'll tell you—you know—the writer, of course, is ultimately the Holy Spirit of God, but the writer is also not just citing a random passage in the Psalm somewhere. But there's a context for that passage, uh, and it's Psalm 102. And so look at Psalm 102 in your Bible there, and um, those little words at the top of the passage there, at the top of the chapter, that's called the superscription, and that is a part of your Bible. That's not a publisher's note. That is a part of your Bible, the superscription. And so uh, next to big Psalm 102 there, it says, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint. Before the Lord. So I ask you, who wrote that psalm? I don't know. I don't know you're probably, you might go, well, David. David probably wrote it. You know, David wrote Psalm 103 and he wrote Psalm 101, so maybe it was David. Okay, maybe it was, but we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we simply know. We don't know who the speaking voice is. We just simply know that it's the prayer of one afflicted when he's faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. But let's not forget what verses are cited in Hebrews. Uh, It's verse 25 and following. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. Now, as with other prophetic utterances, uh, there's there's kind of a dual meaning going on here. Okay, so this is written under the influence and sway and power and control and superintending of the Holy Spirit, but there really is a guy writing Psalm 102, and he really is a person who is afflicted uh, and faint, and he pours out his complaint before the Lord. That's the guy. Whoever this person is, he's, he's a, a, a human uh, writer, and he's a believing Jew who longs for God to do some stuff, like in verse 13 there. Uh, You will arise and have pity on Zion. That's what he wants. Arise and have pity on Zion, God. Uh, I've got an afflicted heart. But notice again, the writer of Hebrews picks these particular verses. And um, here's a simple way to explain it. Um, Why he takes the Old Testament here that is written about this guy who's afflicted and faint of heart. And it's then applied to Jesus Christ. This is Simon Kistemacher and he says this. What formerly, this is so simple, I just, it's so simple. What formerly was said of Israel's God has now been applied to Jesus Christ. Very simple. Um, The Holy Spirit gives this prophetic utterance. It's recorded in the Scriptures. What was formerly said in the power of the Spirit of Israel's God is now being said and applied to Jesus Christ. Said of and applied to Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? So, um, to understand that, let me ask you a question. What person of the Trinity um, indwells you? Who is that? The Holy Spirit. But there's one God. Can it be said in a sense that the Trinity indwells you? In a sense, it can be said that the Trinity indwells you. Now, specifically, the Holy Spirit indwells you. But there is one God, and so in a sense, the the Trinity is involved in that, uh, is is involved in your sanctification in some way. Who died on the cross for your sins? Jesus. The Father didn't do it. The Holy Spirit didn't do it. Jesus did it. And yet, in some sense, there was a Trinitarian involvement because there is one God um, saving, keeping, um, all are the creator, uh, and so on. Uh, all three were involved in, in and united in and committed to the whole work of redemption. And so my point is that, the, the, that Jesus has given authority over all things here, his church, his bride, all the creation, uh, all things concerning her. The reason that makes you, 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 uh, such a big difference to you is that these things are applied by God to God, and that means simply you've got a big God And I know that that sounds like an oversimplified statement that you got a big God and that that, that's things Christians want to say, but you got a big God. Um, Ours is a triune saving God who has aimed the full sway of his sovereign might and pleasure at saving you. That's a big God taking a big action. Um, And that, I think, means that uh, you're going to be okay. In this scary life, your Savior can be depended upon. He is God. He's a part of the Trinity, and the Trinity is a saving God. All right, next thing we'll see about the Lord Jesus here is that He's immutable. That means He can't change. Um, That's at the end of verse 12 there. Uh, Like a robe, uh, um, you'll roll them up like a garment, uh, they will be changed, but you are the same, your years will have no end. He's, uh, oh, did I say immutable or everlasting? Anyway, he's both those things. I might have gotten goofed up a little bit. Did I get goofed up? Okay, good, good, good. Um, we won't camp out here too long, but notice the accessible uh, anthropomorphic speak here about a robe being rolled up and, and all that stuff. Um, again, uh, some stuff taken from Psalm 102, uh, verses 11 and 12. Let me apply this to your life this way. For me, friends... Personally, God's immutability is one of the most comforting things for me. Uh, The longer I'm in the ministry, the longer I'm a human being on this earth, uh, the more stuff I see collapse and change. And uh, it's just that God, that that the Lord Jesus doesn't change, is such a comfort to me. And um, I think I've told you this too, but um, back when I was in high school, I used to go on these bike trips, these. We would all take all of our 10 speeds. We had 10 speeds with the big orange flag and everything back in the 70s and big shorty short pants, you know. And, uh, but we'd ship all of our bikes to La Crosse, Wisconsin and, and uh, ride from La Crosse to Lake Geneva over the course of five or six days and camp out. It was really a fun, really fun trip. I went on three of those, it was really cool. And uh, there were stretches of it where it was old train tracks and they had, it was paved over and they had these bridges. And you'd go through these, these tunnels and, and stuff and it was pitch black in there, man. And, uh, you know, it was about this wide, and there was, you know, enough for a car to drive through, and there's, you know, water running here and water running here, and the end of that tunnel was a pinhole. It was so far away. It was a pinhole. You get in there, it was suddenly real cool, and uh, most people would walk their bikes because, you know, you just couldn't ride. You'd, you'd, You'd go 10 feet and run into the wall, 10 feet, run into the wall, and we finally figured out that if you just got brave and stared at that pin light... And didn't waver. I mean, you couldn't even change your concentration. You had to stare at that pin light. You could keep from bumping into the walls. And what I'm saying to you is that God's immutability is a lot like that for me. Um, This life is so scary, and everything just seems to be undulating. I mean, just think of all the stuff that you trusted in, and all the people you trusted in, and how that changes, and that that, that just rocks you. Uh, stuff you never expected. It just rocks you. Uh, what I'm saying to you is that you can be comforted by this God who does not change. So when you're in that dark tunnel, stare at the pin light. Uh, it's, this, it's this beautiful attribute of God, his immutability applied here, of course, to Jesus. Um, here's a quote from a, um, actually a songwriter, Henry F. Light. He says, Change and decay in all around I see O oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. Change and decay everywhere, right? I don't know if you looked in the mirror lately. But God doesn't change, Christ doesn't change, and he abides with us. The Savior is dependable, and he changes not. Last point, Jesus is victor. Uh, look at verse 13. To which of the angels has the Father ever said, sit at my right hand? until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the capstone of the theme here. It's not the the central idea here, but it's the capstone of the idea that uh, Jesus is sitting victoriously at the right hand of God until his enemies are made a footstool for him. Um, uh, And by the way, we know that symbolic talk, right? That uh, a footstool is, is a way of saying something. It's the same thing with sitting at the right hand of God. It's not like Jesus has to sit there uh, and control everything from the, the, the enterprise uh, da- you know, dashboard. It is to say that he is in a position of rulership and authority and power. If he's sitting at, right, at God's right hand, if he's God's right hand guy, that means he's got authority and sway. He's victor. He's ruling victoriously. Uh, it's of royal significance. It's no ridiculous, uh, you know, uh, support for God having body parts or anything like that. It's figurative, so that we would understand that Jesus is royally ruling and reigning. All right. Last thing, and we'll close up. Um, who remembers Mickey Hill? Mickey Hill was uh, an elder here at our church, and um, he was just this guy who, you know, I, 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 taught, I taught the Bible in their living room, I mean, hundreds of times, uh, or at least in his presence hundreds of times. And uh, he, was, uh, he owned jets. He had a small aviation company and, uh, and ha- had jets. He was a successful guy, and he was just this kind of bigger-than-life character, and um, I just really liked him, and I looked up to him, and I, I, I thought he was such a cool guy. Um, you know, uh, you'd have a singles event, and everybody was awkward, and they were trying to fit in, and it was just, and uh, you'd turn around, and re- Mickey would be in a reggae hat with the, the dreadlocks, and he'd just be dancing, and, and he was just like a guy who stem-wound everything. He was really just something. But to me, I looked at him, he was like this John Wayne character where he was so robust, And so big and just bigger than life and all that stuff. Well, he got lung cancer and he died. And uh, it was, I don't know, a year or two battle with it. I visited him in the hospital two weeks before he died. And he was being fed ice chips. Well, you know, ice chips, when they say you can have ice chips, that's never like great news from the doctor. You can have an ice chip. Yay, praise, you know, an ice chip. He's eating ice chips in the hospital. Two weeks before he died, I visited him. And I walked out of there, walked to the parking lot, like, doot doot do do I did not believe Mickey was going to die. I just did not believe it. I just, two weeks before, I, I, really, until, until two days before he died, maybe the day before, I just did not believe it. I couldn't see how it could possibly happen. Like, he owned planes, and he was this great guy, and he was an elder, and he was a Christian. He was important, and, and he helped so much, and he was so influential, and he was a guy you could look up to, but everything changed, you know? I just couldn't even believe it. I still think about it to this day. Um, I, I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that you got a Savior who can be depended upon. You are in a changing undulating life and you're in a transient position. You're in a world that is not your home. Everything around you is shifting and changing. The stuff you've trusted in, the stuff you think is solid, the mountains you think won't move can move. Can all change. But the great comfort is this savior is greater than all. He's the one through whom all things were made and he upholds the world by the word of his power. And he doesn't change. And he's yours. He died for you. He won you. And uh, i leave you with a, a Savior who can be depended upon. Let's pray that we trust that. Father, um, we, we come to you and are amazed at um, our Savior Jesus and this wonderful plan of salvation. We thank you that you have taken pity upon sinners and sent the only remedy, but we pray, Lord, that we would have a, an expanding understanding of the magnificence of that remedy, that he is God, that he humbled himself even unto death on a cross, and he is now living and royally ruling and reigning, and he is ours. He doesn't change. The gospel equation does not change. Uh, we belong to our Savior, we who have trusted And um, we can bet it all on him. Help us do that well, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.